This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters here on Middle Two People's Radio. It's my birthday today, but it's not the sort of birthday that you might think. It is my 200th. That's right, it's my 200th episode here on NPR.nz and I'd love to thank the team here who helped to provide this platform and to provide the ability to bring these shows to you and then to have those put out as podcasts wherever you can find all good podcasts. So thank you so much to the NPR team. It's been a wonderful experience the last uh, 200 episodes. It's probably over just over four years and I've really enjoyed bringing property news to you and it just makes me reflect on on where the property market's gone in the last uh, four years around the country and that sort of thing and significant increases overall, really substantial and people living here in the Manutu would have found huge rises on their properties and although those have come back a little from the peak, still compared to times like after the GFC and so forth where the market was flat for a very long time, um, it was really only from about November 2015 that prices started rising again after seven years of flatness in this region. So the sort of rises that we've had probably since this show's been going and particularly in the last uh, three to four years have been really significant and helpful for those people in Manawatu who have property and moving them forwards in their lives. The, the flip side of that though of course is uh, that that is a symptom of supply and demand where there's not enough housing and a a common theme on the show over the last several years has been a lack of housing supply and up until COVID came all that they would talk about on the news is a massive housing crisis, housing supply and all that sort of thing when COVID came along that took over the news as as rightfully it should Uh, yet no solutions were put in place of uh, any particular uh, benefits to increasing the supply of housing and that is still uh, the case. There have been some changes over, over recent years. Government has asked councils politely if they would consider changing zoning rules to allow for more properties in a smaller space and higher and particularly in the large centres, and then letting others adopt that as they see fit. So here in one or two, uh, there has been surveys by the council and that sort of thing. By surveys, I mean asking questions, not the not the surveyors of making sure things are straight. So people have been out. The council has been asking questions about how do you feel about changes of zonings and neighbourhoods close to you, based on the idea of ease of transport and that people don't necessarily need to have cars and you can fit more people in a smaller space. So that's been something which they're trying to do to try and create more opportunities for people to build property. As well as that, they've done a number of things over the last uh, four years that haven't really worked and I think, I don't know if Kiwi Build predates that, 
But I do remember when they brought that out, the idea that they would build 100,000 homes. I'm not sure where those are, but 100,000 homes um, in a relatively short period and the prices would be low. Um, and it would allow first home buyers to get into the market. Now, I always thought there was a fundamental flaw with this, and it goes back to our New Zealand psyche. The New Zealand psyche that everybody should own the quarter acre section, and as that changed over the years, everybody should own their own property, as if it's a right. But it's not a right to own your own property. I believe the basic human rights are a right for shelter. So I feel that the government uh, back then was focusing really in the wrong direction. Instead of building properties so people could buy them, maybe they should have been building properties for the people at the lower end of the scale who won't be buying properties and take some of that demand out of the market. Now that's easier said than done. I remember once in one of these shows I pulled out my calculator and did a rough calculation on what the uh, building cost of a huge number of state homes would be, and it was astronomical. And I really do mean astronomical. It was mind-blowingly expensive. So I guess no easy fix. Easy for me to sit here and say these things in hindsight, although I must confess that I, as soon as they announced KiwiBuild, I thought to myself, that will not work. It simply will not work. It'll just push prices up and so forth. And that... uh, yeah, then there was several um, other things the uh, government, uh, governments of the of the time, tried to do to, I guess, have an effect on the private rental market. That's uh, people that own rental properties, the the private sector, to make them act more like they are the public sector. So, with the lack of state houses, they were bringing in a whole lot of things to uh, protect the tenants. Again, that's that's not a bad thing, um, but ex- and taking away rights, for example, of owners to be able to move tenants on um, for what they used to call um, no no cause. That was the old ninety day notice. That's gone now. That caused some uproar with landlords, and as well as other things that uh, government has done, like um, removing the ability to claim tax. Uh, although there is still the ability to offset. Uh, losses in a rental property against the rental property itself. That's probably a conversation for another day. But they they made some decisions there. They made it harder for investors to buy because they would rather that first home buyers do. Again, based on the flawed idea that everybody should own a home rather than everybody has the right to shelter. So um, they, they carried on that way for quite some time over these last four years and, and constantly trying to help people get into homes, various loans, home loan grants, um, KiwiSaver, being able to be used to buy houses, higher deposits for investors so that it was easier for first home buyers. Uh, But as well as that, to call the market, they just changed the loan-to-value ratios. Uh, That is effectively the deposit size you need for a house. And that was done probably during the time that the show has been on air. And that had a large effect. It immediately removed many buyers from the market. And I remember when they, um, what what they did there was they said that the banks aren't allowed to lend less than, with a less than 20% deposit as much as they used to be. They still can. And there's penalty fees and those sort of things. I covered those on last week's shows, show, but uh, they often they didn't. And uh, so what happened there was uh, 
people who had saved diligently for years their deposit suddenly had the goalposts moved. And if you use an analogy of a rugby field, you're standing under one goalpost, you're looking at the other one, it moved the distance of another field again. And that's, uh, that was a real toughie. Um, that, that was one which removed buyers from the market but also uh, made it very hard for first home buyers. Investors, as you may be aware, have moved, it's been moved out to 40% in many cases, although that had little effect as well. And the reason that investors having to have 40% uh, deposit effectively for a house is that many of them had a lot of equity over 40%. For example, uh, and you may recall that most landlords only own one to two properties, most, and by most I mean around 90%. So they're just mum and dad investors, they can just use their equity in their family home to buy a rental property. So it doesn't stop those people buying because they well and truly meet that 40% threshold. Why did the government do this? They did this because it sounds good. They did it because it sounds good and that it shows that they're doing something uh, dramatic. They, the media, <coughs> excuse me, um, posted a narrative that landlords own lots of properties and they're sort of evil and money grabbing. You need to look at uh, headlines around that over the last few years that we've brought to you here on the show around uh, the um, sort of backlash against landlords as the rental prices rose, particularly over the last two years. Now you might ask yourself, why are the rental prices rising? Is it landlords being greedy? And the answer is the same as why did the sales market rise? And the answer to that is there's not enough houses. And if there's not enough houses, that creates demand. If there's demand, prices go up. It's the same for anything. Think of uh, uh, seasonal fruit and veg. I mean, they go up based on demand at different times of year. So it's really uh, a case of rents have been going up for the last two years because of supply and demand. So even though house prices in this last 12 months or so have dropped from their peak, rents will not because no one has solved the fundamental problem of not enough people. The government did catch some breaks, though. One of, one of the breaks that they caught around housing was was related to COVID, uh, which meant that we stopped bringing people into the country. And uh, other things that they've done uh, made it harder criteria for people to come into the country has had an effect on housing as well, and that the size of the supply and demand problem has reduced. So we'll see what other effect that has. I mean, as you know, we're now screaming out for people all over the place for the labour market, um, and we'll just see what happens there. So that's a, a something that the A government could change, that immigration policy, which would have an effect on the housing market. Also during this last uh, four years, the last 200 episodes of the show, the government uh, also, uh, and, well, government slash banks, also decided that uh, they needed to have some sort of reduction in what's called the debt-to-income ratio. The debt-to-income ratio is the amount you can lend relative to the amount that you earn. And this was a multiplier. So you'd multiply the amount that you earn, and that would give an indication of what you could lend. And that was up around nine at one stage. They dropped it back to about six. And that's one that had an immediate effect on the market because people that 
thought they could buy a house at a certain level had the carpet pulled out from under them and with little or no warning. In fact, there were cases in this region where people had the contracts in place subject to finance, the finance was pre-approved and then when this came in, the bank said, sorry, you can't lend 1.2 million, now you can only lend 700,000. And that's something that had a large effect on the market indeed, was that debt-to-income ratio. One thing that's uh, really affected the market more than anything else in the last four years has been more recent, and that is the rising interest rates. Because during the last four years, rates went very low. Uh, rates went very low because of um, economic factors, the wider economic factors in the country um, to get things moving and to keep things moving uh, in and around and post-COVID. What happened then, uh, around about two years ago onwards, uh, people were buying properties at incredible prices, and I don't know if any of you bought property at that time. I know for me, uh, I bought one that was advertised at just over 800 and I paid about eight ninety for for that one, and that wasn't the highest offer. It was just mine was the cleanest, so they took that. So people were were spending a lot more even than the asking prices in order to secure property because the market was rising so well. Uh, so people that bought within that time period uh, will now find that the property is worth somewhat less uh, in terms of the overall market changing. You see, what's happening at the moment is the only people – no, that's a generalisation. Most people who are buying properties are those who own their own property and are upsizing or downsizing. There's no real barriers for them to do that. But what has happened is the government has put a number of things in place which meant that buying a first home is extraordinarily difficult, even though that seems to be against what they were saying previously, which is that everybody should own a home. So it's interesting how things change. As well as that, uh, investors have um, slowed significantly with a number of the things that uh, the government has taken away. They've changed the debt-to-income ratio, uh, they've changed the loan-to-value ratio, which is that 40% deposit. They've taken away tax benefits to make property investment property more, sorry, less appealing. Uh, one thing they did do was say to investors they'll give them more favourable condition for new builds, which is something that was actually uh, a good idea. And so there were a number of properties that I was dealing with in the last couple of years where people have been building new as rental properties, and that's actually adding to the stock of the country. So that, that was a that was a really um, that was something that I must applaud the government for, even though a lot of things that they've done have affected um, me personally negatively <laughs> as a property investor. Now, what happened to people who have bought in the last couple of years? Um, well, what's happened is the interest rates have gone up. The market has changed and that removing effectively through regulations or legislation the majority of first home buyers and majority of investors, I mean the government has created an artificial supply and demand. So in other words, the demand has dropped um, and that means that houses will, uh, will sell for cheaper. But there is a little bit of a double whammy though. And the double whammy is that interest rates have been rising as inflation has been um, growing 
and somewhat allowed to grow, uh, then we've had a situation where the interest rates keep going up. Now, people who have bought at the peak of the market during the last couple of years, they've bought at a high price with really low, record low interest rates. I was talking to someone the other day who was telling me they had interest rates under 3%. I think I did as well at one stage. And let's say you bought a house and fixed it for one or two years. Interest rates rose uh, so quickly this is based around the OCR and around moves by the Reserve Bank, etc., that now people are refixing at double or triple the interest rates. Now, what does that actually mean? What it means is uh, when the banks allowed them to lend, they allowed for some changes and so forth, um, and people uh, could afford things. And now with uh, the off shoot of inflation going up as the price of everything goes up. So um, in a situation where the demand's been taken out the housing market and houses have been dropping in value, uh, people having to drop their prices to sell, of course, is, is what that's about. Uh, if you had bought um, in the last couple of years and you need to sell, so, so no one really wants to sell at the moment if they bought in the last couple of years because the market has dropped in many places around the country. Here in Manawatu, um, I'm not, I don't actually have an average figure there, but it's probably somewhere around something between about 100,000 and 150,000 in, in that period from the peak. So we had that huge growth of 30% a year, two years in a row, but, uh, but it's come back down, and that's when those people bought was just before it came back down. The rising interest rates have meant for those people when, when and some of them have already, coming off fixed rates, They've got to find um, many, many hundreds of dollars more out of their household budget on a weekly basis just to stay in the same position, to stay in the same house. And there is a risk that this becomes a bit of a, a vicious circle where people can no longer afford to, buy their, to pay for their house so they sell it, and then, uh, but they'll have to sell for a loss. And here's an example here of an article from stuff recently it says a family faces a $450 a week jump in home loan payments that's $450 a week not a fortnight and not a month so it says here that the O'Sullivans have cancelled almost every subscription they have, stopped KiwiSaver contributions, might sell their car to keep up with the rising mortgage repayments the O'Sullivan's home loan interest rate will jump from 3.5% to nearly 7% at the end of February, increasing their payments roughly $450 per week. Rory O'Sullivan says the jump has made the repayments almost unaffordable and after cancelling almost every subscription and membership, the next step may be selling the family car. Please don't do that, Rory. That's not the best approach. However, with about half of loan debt set to refix in the next year, the O'Sullivans are not alone in facing large increases in their repayments. The scale of their increase was also not unusual, with Westpac forecasting a $400, sorry, beg your pardon, an $800 a fortnight mortgage increase for recent buyers of homes in Auckland. So that's just an example there. Uh, where do they get that money from and how do they keep going? And that's where some of those tough decisions have to come in. And if there are tough decisions, think of this article from Tom Hunt in the Dominion Post from Wellington. It says two-thirds of Wellington houses bought at market peak are now in negative equity, research shows. Kiwi Bank senior economist Jeremy Couchman 
or Coochman, sorry, says negative equity is not a reason to panic. But two-thirds of homes in the Wellington region which were bought at the market peak in late 2021 are now in negative equity, according to property research firm CoreLogic. Nationwide, 11.6% of people who bought a house at the market peak in late 2021 were now in negative equity. Now, what is negative equity? What that means is you put a deposit in for the house, you buy the house, uh, the house drops in value more than the size of the deposit that you put in in the first place. So a simple example, if you put in a $200,000 deposit, bought a uh, half a million dollar house, uh, well, it will be more than that, of course. We've had a million dollar house for that. If it drops to below 800000 in value, um, you've lost uh, your deposit <laughs> relatively, uh, which is a scary thought indeed. CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall did say that Wellington was hard hit due to a lot of development, particularly in the Hutt Valley, increasing demand and the fact that Wellington house prices had been rising faster than other areas before the pandemic. And uh, people in the Manor 2 region where, where I live uh, would also be finding that because we had those huge 30% a year rises. And so where a market rises the most is usually where it comes back the most. We're still in a good position though. And if we reflect on uh, in particular uh, that side of things and, and if you've bought longer ago, it's just a matter of probably holding on to your property for a little while unless a life change comes along that you want to sell. Another topic that we often cover here on Property Matters at npr.nz is over the last four years has been to do with uh, the need for the property management industry to be regulated. Uh, There's so much stuff going on that I started a segment on the show called Bad Landlords, Bad Tenants. Every single week in the newspaper are articles about tenants or landlords behaving badly, um, tenants living in terrible conditions, landlords... uh, being nasty and getting huge fines and it's really it's sad that the media focuses on the negative all the time rather than the positive. Most um, property investors are happy and proud that they can provide housing for other people. I know from experience um, across thousands of tenancies that around 20% of landlords actually underrent their properties intentionally. Um, yet that sort of thing does not get reported in the media. Uh, what gets reported are the state of properties. So the government bought in the healthy homes and during the tenure of this show, and that's excellent. No one can say that that's a bad thing. It wasn't done as well as it could have been, uh, but it's something that would impre- will improve the stock of properties. We expected, or the media expected, a flood of people exiting, investors exiting the property market, but that didn't happen. The reason that didn't happen was their homes had gone up so much in value they could take a little loan against the house, bring them up to healthy home standard and carry on and that's what most people did. So um, the government talk of lots of investors selling and first home buyers being able to get in um, to properties that that were investment properties uh, simply didn't come to fruition. What we find though and what I've found uh, in the show here in the last year or two is there are still so many landlords breaking the rules. You see the government's made several legislative changes relating to investment property that landlords really should know about Um, and because so many landlords, probably anecdotally about 70% of landlords do it themselves, they just don't have the knowledge and this is putting tenants in danger of um, poor practice, being held to ransom potentially, 
um, not having maintenance done properly, living in unhealthy homes, etc. And the and that's that's really a, a, obviously a, a bad situation. It also puts landlords in a situation of it being even the most well-meaning landlords breaching tenancy rules. And I've had many examples of these over the last uh, two hundred shows uh, here on NPR, and the breaches that see them sometimes and and to the tune of thousands and occasionally over ten thousand dollars worth of uh, of refunds at, or payments needed to be paid and in fact there's a article from the uh, from the last well just recently I think it was the last week uh, a tenant called up the council to get a wheelie bin at a property and instead lost their home because the um, person the council inspector visited the property after the tenant called up to complain about not having a bin and found the downstairs dwellings had been converted without a building consent Although the council issued the landlord uh, a notice to fix, and five days later the tenant received a letter from the landlord saying they'd have to leave so extensive renovations could take place. Now this went to court and adjudicator Tony Prowse awarded the tenant a total of $11,840 in compensation because the landlord had rented out a home that could not be legally occupied and had given the tenant retaliatory notice. Now did the landlord there know they were doing anything wrong? Uh, Actually they, they didn't seem to. The landlord told the tribunal that they, she didn't know that units weren't consented. She, when she bought the house in 1994, she never received a land information memorandum report, a LIM report, and she had told the council that she was renting them out. So uh, this is a pretty, pretty interesting situation, but it just goes to show, and again, uh, I've had dozens of cases on our Bad Landlord, Bad Tenant section in this show uh, where people and often landlords have been made to pay a lot of money. I mean think of the guy that um, asked if the tenants would like him to mow the lawns regularly the the tenants agreed and then when he mowed the lawns regularly at the end of the tenancy the landlord wanted to hold a little bit of bond back. The tenants filed at tenancy tribunal that they couldn't enjoy their property and have peaceful enjoyment of it because he was often coming round including the doing of the lawns and this ended up costing that landlord thousands of dollars in compensation uh, which is uh, again well-meaning but it's best to know the law. So it's been a wonderful experience here doing these uh, 200 shows and I intend to do uh, another 200 of course bringing you the latest in news from here in Manawatu, Wanganui and from around the country and also internationally where possible. I have enjoyed the uh, parts over the years um, where we've done some of the funny stories, you know, the, the rich and famous, the unusual sales like castles, churches and, and so forth, um, stories about squatters and what their rights are um, a, and and so forth. It's been um, a lot a lot of fun, and thank you for uh, your listenership here on NPR.nz. Uh, and uh, I'll sign off the 200th episode now. And until next week, um, I'll hope you've uh, had a lovely long weekend, and we'll catch up with you next week for episode 201. Uh, if you are interested in listening to more, just go to NPR.nz and look up. Property Matters or Greg Watson. You can even Google Greg Watson and Property Matters. Or alternatively, you can find this where all good podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening and thanks for the 200th birthday. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.